I'd like to get a piece of paper and you can um, on the left hand column list 1 through 10 or 12 something like that, I'm not sure how many questions I'll give you a little test a couple of questions the first off uh, 8 of them will be true false and you just answer as you um, think question number 1 a good description, a good description of a Christian is a sinner saved by grace. Just answer true or false. Don't write down the question. Just write down T and F. Right beside number one, you know, T or F. A good description of a Christian is a sinner saved by grace. <clears throat> question number two. You can sin and not know it. Christian, question number three, it's normal for Christians to sin every day. Question number four, a bad, a bad thought is a sin. Question number five, it's easier for a Christian to sin than to do right. Question number six, <clears throat> The closer we get to Christ, the less we'll be tempted. Question number seven. Uh, we get closer to Christ through actions of righteousness. <coughs> Question number eight. Sainthood is attained by a few Christians. Excuse me? Sainthood <coughs> is attained by a few Christians. <coughs> Question number eight. Nine. Nine. I've left out one. Okay, question number nine. To be tempted is a sign of our sinfulness. <coughs> Question number 11, no, 10. How many acts, how many sins have you committed today? And if you don't know, take a grab at it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, how many sins have you committed today? Let's get on with that, okay? Um, quick, question number um, 11. How many acts of righteousness have you committed today? Okay. Uh, the reason I wanted this letter, the, the message I feel like God wants me to bring tonight, I brought in Fort Worth a week ago last Friday, and I've been receiving some letters about it. Um, and the two letters I wanted to, to share with you tonight, I've only got one. I'm really, I, I hope God in his providence allows me to keep the letter because I'd rather really have kept the other letter, was was a letter from a, a young man in the seminary, his third year in the seminary, who received the truth from God's Word and uh, 
the expressions that he had in the letter were absolutely unbelievable. I, I, I just couldn't believe what I had read uh, had happened to him. Last Friday night, his wife brought home the tape. He didn't even go to the meeting. His wife brought home the tape, and he listened to it. And um, he, he had, I, I can quote almost uh, what he said, because it so impressed me. And then this other letter I got from another ministerial student who had been saved for five years. He goes to William Carey College, and it was quite obvious from this letter uh, that uh, what, what was said was Greek to him. And I, I, I'm cognizant of the fact that tonight it's going to take divine revelation for you to grasp what I believe God wants me to say to you. And um, I want you to listen very carefully tonight. I want to start off by telling you a story the Lord gave me recently. Uh, it, it came out of hearing a little phrase that's being said all over the country now, that you can't soar with the eagles if you live with the turkeys. And I was riding on a plane last fall out to Bottlesville, Oklahoma, to speak out there. And the question came to me, uh, what in God's name was the eagle doing with the turkeys in the first place? I mean, you know, um, well, what was the eagle doing with the turkeys? And this is the, this is the parable uh, that I would like to think that God gave me to be able to, to lay the foundation. I think it's good to speak in parables, and then we will uh, speak the application of the parable afterwards. And the parable goes like this. Once upon a time, uh, there was a mom and dad eagle. And they lived in a colony of a whole bunch of eagles. In fact, uh, that colony is just south of here, about 65 miles. And the mom and dad eagle live in the colony. And uh, uh, this particular bunch of eagles happens to be Southern Baptists. And, uh, and um, um, now, you know, you know that the population of eagles in the United States is, has... Uh, declined drastically in recent years and so uh, when eagles are born uh, there is great enthusiasm by all the eagles so uh, in this particular colony of eagles this mom and daddy had um, had two beautiful big eggs and uh, out hatched out two little eaglets and uh, they were beautiful little eaglets and uh, when they hatched out the daddy flew around to all the other eagle eras and announced the coming of the two and all the eagles gathered over there and they had just a wonderful session rejoicing about the two little eaglets and uh it was a grand time well uh mom and dad being a southern baptist uh i decided the next best thing they could do immediately was to build another eerie and have two more eagles you know anything that caused that much commotion and anything that caused that much rejoicing and anything that caused that much uh, recognition uh ought to be repeated as quickly as possible now i don't know whether you know it but in the building of an eerie there is a tremendous amount of work so mom and daddy went to build another eerie, and in the meantime, they forgot the two little babies that they had. Well, after about two days or three days of being left alone, uh, these little eaglets, uh, if God wants me to find that letter, he'll let me do it. If he doesn't, it's fine. Uh, maybe he wants to keep it away. But anyway, the two little eaglets had a conference together, and uh, this is how the conference went. They said, if we stay here, we are going to die. And uh, they looked over the edge of the tree and it was about 50 feet to the ground and they said, if we drop out of this nest, we will probably die. When we hit the ground, we'll break our neck. They'd never been taught to fly and uh, they were not old enough to feed themselves. So they had a conference and since it was a sure thing they were going to die, they stayed where they were and there was a chance that they wouldn't die if they jumped out of the tree and fallen, uh, fell to the ground. They were all like the lepers. Praise you did. Praise the Lord. Lord. Good. 
They were like the lepers at Samaria. They said, it's better to take a chance. Are you with me? So they crawled to the edge of the nest and dived out and fell to the ground. Well, very fortunately, neither one of them got killed. And after about five minutes, after having had the breath knocked out of them, they, uh, they got up and the reason of their fall to the ground was to look for food. So they started out to look for food. Well, as they went out to look for food, uh, they ran into a bunch of turkeys. And, uh, and, uh, now, uh, these were nice turkeys. Uh, and the head gobbler, uh, immediately, um, sensed that these two little birds were hungry and they happened to be going out to hunt for acorns right then, so they invited the two of them to go along. And so the two little eaglets went along and they got onto this great big oak tree and the head gobbler said, hey, help yourself, look at them, they're everywhere. Now, uh, to an eaglet, he didn't know why, but an acorn didn't look too appealing. But, you know, there's a little theory in life that you need to remember, and you need to write this down and forget it. When a person's really hungry, they'll eat anything. <laughs> now, you may not laugh too much at this. There's some real truth in this. And an eagle will eat acorns rather than starve to death, although an eagle wasn't made for acorns, and acorns weren't made for an eagle. So... These little eaglets, they just cram their craws full of acorns, and there is a satisfaction to having your craw full of anything when it doesn't have anything in it. Well, after they'd, they'd fed on the acorns, this happened to be near the evening, and the head gobbler said to them, said, where are you guys going to spend the night? Well, they didn't know where they were going to spend the night. They just knew this, that their mother and father didn't really want them because if they'd wanted them, they'd have taken care of them, and they said, well, we don't have any family to go home to. So the head eagle said this, I mean, the head turkey said this, well, why don't you guys just come live with us? We'll be glad to take you into our family. Well, you know, when you don't have anywhere to go, you, you'll always go where you're welcome. And let me just say this to you, and this is another truth. It's not only true about eaglets and the ground, it's true about people. You'll always go where you're accepted, even if the people accepting you are not the people that you would best choose to associate with uh, just by your nature. So these eaglets... Uh, they proceeded over to live with the turkeys. Well, you know, uh, this head gobbler, he looked at these eaglets and he decided that they were, they, they were a pretty sorry-looking turkey. But he had adopted them into the family and he decided this, I'm going to help them become good turkeys. So what happened was this. Uh, you see, uh, let me give you another law of life. When anybody is accepted by a person, really accepted by a person, they will seek to imitate that person to ensure their acceptance. Now, we better learn this about people. See, what we try to do is we tell people, get like us and we'll accept you. Whenever we'll accept them, they will automatically get like us. See, there are two ways about going things. And in most of our churches today, some stranger comes in. Uh, he might be strange in holding up his hands. He might be strange in the length of his hair and the way he dresses. And we're not willing to accept him like he is until he dresses like we do and cuts his hair like we do and raises his hand like we do and will get baptized like we think he ought to. And so we sort of hold him off at hand's length and we say to him, if you become like us, we'll accept you. In the meantime, somebody else will accept him and say, we'll accept you like you are. See, that's why your teenage girl will run off with a sorry, 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 stinking boy. And you can say, what has he got to give her? Look at all we have given her. Yes, you've given her everything except acceptance and that's the one thing the boy gave her and she'll be willing to give up the comforts of a nice home. She'll be willing to give up anything just to be accepted like she is. Now, if you don't learn this about people, you'll never be able to build a house, a church, 
or anything else. Because, you see, one of the greatest needs, after a person's filled their crawl, the next greatest need is to be accepted. And if you don't feed people, somebody else will. And if you don't accept them, somebody else will. And they'll accept them just like exactly like they are. Well, you know, these two eaglets, they felt accepted because they were accepted. And they joined in. Well, the head turkey, you know, they wanted to learn, and they said to the head turkey, would you teach us how to scratch? And so they had scratching lessons. And over a period of months and months and months and months, they became turkeyized. Now, there's only one problem in the whole thing, and that's this. When you're a turkey, it's easy to be a turkey. But when you're an eagle, it's really hard to be a turkey. It's really hard to be a turkey. And it seems no matter how hard you try, you're never really comfortable. They kept telling themselves that acorns were the things that they ought to eat since they were going to be a turkey. Like acorns, like acorns, like acorns, and they try to put in their mind like acorns, like acorns, and they'd swallow. And uh, instead of screeching or screaming like an eagle, they'd cluck like a turkey. It was a very poor cluck, and over and over again they had to take voice lessons to be able to get that cluck out. And they did everything, and they became turkeyized as best as you can turkey rise an eagle they became turkey rise one day they were walking you know and one of the things about turkeys is they stay hidden most of the time very fearful people uh, fearful things they're not cautious at all you know coon is a cautious animal he sees something new he'll go over and take a look at it but a, a turkey sees something new he'll immediately leave uh, this is what good turkey hunters say and, you know, the chances of even seeing a turkey, much less getting one, is very, very remote. Very few turkey hunters even get them themselves. But, you know, turkeys to go from one bunch of woods to another have to cross the open. And one day they were crossing the open, and uh, the old eaglet, he, he, he stopped out of there, and he began to look up in the sky. He saw some birds flying way, way up there. They looked like they were having such a good time. And he was just thinking to himself in his heart, boy, I'd like to be up there. I'd like to be up there. You see, let me tell you something. You can take an eagle out the sky but you can't take the sky out the eagle because when he became an eagle he had sky put in him and and uh and 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 about time he was thinking boy i'd like to be up there i wish i could be up there the head turkey noticed him and said hey 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 watch out all them things flying up there are buzzards you don't want to go up there and be a buzzard do you because the little little eaglet shook his head and said no i don't want to be a buzzard and the only buzzards up there must be something wrong i wonder what inside of me wants to be buzzardy what wants to be up there and he <laughs> He, um, he took that and crammed it back down inside of him. Well, what happened one day was this. They, they got up one morning, you know. Like I said, it's really difficult, really difficult if you're an eaglet to be a turkey. And they got up one morning and they were headed out to look for more acorns. Turkeys just love acorns. I mean, they eat acorns all the time. And this little eaglet, he tried so hard the day before, it had been just a complete failure. He just tried to be an, a, a turkey, and he had failed over and over again. He'd scratched wrong. He'd found himself screeching instead of clucking, and, and uh, he'd been reprimanded three or four times uh, for not taking his lessons well and not uh, doing like he ought to do. He, 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 he didn't do very good at training union, and, um, he, um, and uh, he um, just couldn't take it. And um, so he, as they went out this morning, as they went out this morning, uh, they, uh, he sort of drug behind. You know, when you're discouraged, he's dragged behind. And after a while, he just stopped under a great big old tree, and he sort of leaned up against the tree. His head was down, and 
he, he, he was feeling, oh my, there's got to be more to life than this. I want to ask you something. Uh, in your experience as a Christian, as a minister, you feel like there's got to be more to life than this, what you're experiencing? Don't nod your head, just inside. Uh, are, you, are you wondering? Uh, there must be a lot of Southern Baptist ministers doing this. Do you know the three Southern Baptist ministers quit the ministry every day? That's Nashville statistics. And, you know, deep down in their hearts, they must be saying, hey, there's got to be more than life to this. A few years ago, I wrote God a letter. I literally wrote God a letter. I stuck it in my desk drawer and said, God, there's any more to this business. And I'm found out so far. I'm quitting at the end of a year. I'm quitting. Now, why was I going to quit? Because I was saying, hey, there's got to be more to life than this rat race that I'm in. There's got to be more to life than what I've found out so far. I had a successful church at that time, four or five hundred in Sunday school, growing. Uh, almost everybody was happy. Uh, it's the kind of, you know, the kind of church that the association would recognize in their minutes. But see, see, satisfaction, real satisfaction is not found in outward things. Satisfaction is found in here. And you see, I didn't have satisfaction in here. And I, and I was determined I was going to quit. I'd had it. I'd had it up to here. I, I, and I said, God, if I don't find this, if there isn't any more to this, and if I don't find it in a year, I'm getting out. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just remember that I stuck that letter in my drawer because, you see, I was just exactly like that little eaglet was in that morning. I was sort of, you know, I'd sort of had it. I didn't know how to do what I was doing. And I just felt like a total failure as far as life was concerned. When they were back to our little eaglet, he didn't know that sitting up in that tree was an owl. And uh, the old owl looked down, you know, he'd been out all night, and uh, it was early in the morning, and he hadn't quite gone to sleep yet, and he looked out over the tree and opened one of those big eyes and looked down there, and there was that little, little bird down there with his head huddled between his knees, uh, sort of crouched, looking like he'd been run over. And uh, you know what I will say? They all said, ooh! <laughs> uh, <laughs> they all said, who are you? And he said, uh, uh, I'm a little turkey that's discouraged. <laughs> he said, I, I'm just tired of life. I, I'm not enjoying it. There's got to be more to it than this. And the owl said something to him. Well, I'll tell you what the owl said to him in just a minute. But I want to see if you've been with the turkeys. By looking at the questions that you've got. Now, the answer to every one of the true and false questions is false. And if you've got true, you've been turkeyized. Now, those of you that got the right answers, don't be proud. <laughs> you know, it's the turkeys that chug out their necks and go, you know. <laughs> now, now, I want to go over these with you. Because you can't soar with the eagles if you believe these things. Now, I want to show you. I want to read to you what this guy said. This letter comes from that young man in Mississippi College. He, 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 he questions me and asks me about some scripture verses I'll deal with tonight. I'll get to these in just a minute in here. And he says, hey, 
I took this message back and he said, let me see if I can find a sec- this sentence right here. I shared your sermon uh, that I bought on tape at the conference with my minister friends and also with some of my religious teachers and they don't understand. Now, listen to this one. Um, this, this one's dated 2181, which you see is very. said, I seldom write letters, but I need to write and tell you what you mean to my wife and myself. I'm a third-year seminary student at Southwest and have been a Christian for most five years. Most of that time has been marked by a very up-and-down existence, with the last couple being mostly down. I've tried so hard to please God, but felt like such a failure. The harder I tried to please Him, the word I failed. To make a very long story short, let me just say that Friday night my wife brought home the tape on eagles and turkeys, and as she had gone to bed, I listened to it. Now, he told me what scores he had on questions 10 and 11. I wonder what kind of scores you had in questions 10 and 11. Uh, we'll come to that in just a minute. And he goes on down here, and uh, and uh, this is how he ends. He, he, I, I, I want to, at the end of the message, he said, he said, God, what are you trying to say to me? And he said, I know the voice of God as he has spoken to me many times, but I never heard him say to me what he said that night. And I'm going to read at the end to you what it said that night. But this is the result of what he heard. He said, Mr. Lord, right then it seemed as if a thousand pounds of self-condemnation, guilt, shame, bitterness, rejection was taken off my heart and taken to the bottom of the sea. The love of God flooded my soul and joy unspeakable filled my heart. And he goes on and speaks here of the things that have happened to him. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Now, what has happened to the church of Jesus Christ is this, is we uh, have become so sin conscious. Let me just go over a couple of these questions with you. Uh, Question number two was you can sin and not know it. Now, that's what the Turkeys teach, that you can sin and not know it. Where do you find that in the Bible? I mean... Where do you find it in the Bible that you can sin and not know it? Are you tell me that a Holy Ghost can live in you and you can sin and he won't tell you? You can't sin and not know it. Now listen, let me show you what this does to us. If I can sin and not know it, now I got in my computer, I can sin and not know it, and I've got in my computer, another question is that Christians sin every day. <laughs> now, I've got these two things in my commu- computer, I can sin and not know it, and Christians sin every day. I got those two things, and then I know God doesn't hear my prayer when I sin. <laughs> what kind of confidence do you think a person is going to pray with even when they do this? There's, there is an automatic sense of unworthiness and guilt and frustration that goes through my life. Now, let me tell you where the theology came from that Christians sin every day. It came from the Turkish who sin every day, and what they wanted to do is explain their lifestyle so they wouldn't be embarrassed by somebody else's. So you see, they say, it's normal for a Christian to sin every day. Now you find that in the Bible. It's not normal for a Christian to sin every day. Who said so? Uh, uh, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't sin every day. Most of you in here and I have probably said it's easier to do sin than it is to do righteousness. It isn't easier. That's a lie. Now let me, listen to me carefully. What's in your mind? determines the way you act. See, if Jim Hall were to walk in here right now and say, hey, your mother has died or your child has died and told you a bold-faced lie, but if you believed it, sorrow would fill your heart. Why? Because you believed a lie. Now, 
there is a sin condemnation, there is a sin consciousness that has settled. Now listen, I'm not speaking tonight out of theology. I'm speaking, first of all, out of about 40 years of experience, and then I'm speaking out of the theology of the Bible, which if I had listened to 40 years ago, I would be a different person. Stand. I am speaking to you tonight as a man that has lived under a cloud of sinfulness, of sin consciousness, let me call it, all the time. For instance, you see, uh, I used to think, I, don't, I know it's turkeyology, that if you're tempted, it's a sign of your sinfulness. It isn't. Jesus was tempted. He wasn't sinful. Being tempted is not a sign of your sinfulness. In fact, the closer you, uh, I won't even say the closer you get to Jesus, because I'm going to, you can't get closer to Jesus if you're a Christian. And if you could ever understand that, you'd never get any closer to Jesus than you are right now if you're a Christian. But see, we keep talking in terms like getting closer to Jesus, closer to Jesus, closer to Jesus. Now, if I'm talking about getting closer to Jesus, I'm presuming that I'm far away from Jesus and I need to get closer. See, my computer puts all of these things into my mind and into my heart. And uh, we could go on and go over these things. A bad thought is a sin. Uh, whoever told you that a bad thought was a sin? Uh, somebody said, what about that verse that says, when a man lost their... Uh, uh, lust after a woman in his heart and looks on her. Well, a look is an action, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's not a thought. Now, you see, let me say this to you. You are bound up in sin consciousness if you ever get the idea that a thought is a sin because you can't even be tempted without a thought. I mean, you can't even be tempted. The devil's got you where you are and he shoots a thought at you and you say, well, I've said, I've said, done it again. Now, listen. How many sins? Ten. How many sins? How many acts of righteousness? Eleven. Did I say today or yesterday? Now, I'd be interested in your answers. Let me give you this guy's answer. He says that he wrote down three hundred. <laughs> Don't you? It's sad. These are the guys we have raised. And ten. I spoke in Dr. Gray's mission class last Friday, and the average in there was two to here to one here. I want to ask you something. If at the end of a day, an average day, you feel you've done more acts of sin than you've done acts of righteousness, how do you think any self-respecting, halfway decent Christian is going to feel about himself? He's going to feel like he's a low-down, no-good wreck. I want to tell you something. Don't ever, ever call a Christian again a sinner saved by grace. That's about the lowest word you can call him. Listen, I mean, now, I say a Christian might be a sinner saved by grace. I, I, the question I ask you, a good description of a Christian is a sinner saved by grace. That's nonsense. That's a very poor description of a, of a, of a, of a Christian. A very, very poor. But see, we've got that sin consciousness. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, uh, I, I just wonder in here tonight. Uh, I wonder in here tonight. Let's just have an honest confession. How many had more hair than they had hair? Let's see your hands. Look at that. Look at that. Christian leaders. And you're at a Bible conference. This isn't even a normal day with kids. I mean, it's... <laughs> Now look, let me ask you something. If that kind of sin consciousness pervades this group and it's passed on from us to our members, can you imagine what kind of sin consciousness pervades? Now listen, along with sin consciousness comes unworthiness. I heard Jerry White use the phrase down here one time, control by unworthiness. Let me tell you something. 
if we could total up the number of things done in our churches that were done out of a, a contr uh, uh, that were controlled by unworthiness and trying to do something to compensate for my wickedness I tell you something if those things were stopped in our churches today we'd come to a grinding halt and it'd be the best doggondest thing that ever happened till we could get back to where God wants us to be now how can you at a Bible conference feel good when you feel like you have done more sins than you have done righteousness. I mean, in a day when you're at a Bible conference. And away from the regular routines of life. I mean, I mean, you know, it's... Let me put it this way. I want you to listen to me. And I want, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the Bible in just a minute. I want you to see that everything I'm saying is in the Bible tonight. And we have just bypassed it because we have tried to explain the Bible in light of our experience rather than bringing our experience up to what the Bible says. Now... Uh, listen to me carefully. Listen to me very, very carefully. A Christian cannot sin without choosing to do so. <laughs> now, get the other half of it. And this is the most glorious half. If this ever gripped you, somebody would get up and shout and do a holy dance in here tonight. Listen, listen. When you're a born-again Christian, you don't even have to try to do righteousness. You, you just do it naturally. You see, now, if I'd asked tonight, can you do righteous acts? and not be conscious of it, your answer should have been true. You see, righteousness is the natural cause. Okay, let me put it this way to you. And it'll, you know, uh, I have done about 3,000, no, about 300 acts of righteousness today. The first act of righteousness I did was to take a bath. Do you know something that everything you do as a Christian is an act of righteousness? If it isn't an act of righteousness, it's a sin. I mean, uh, there's no gray ground in between. There's no gray ground in between. Listen, everything you do is an act of righteousness except when you deliberately choose to sin. A little woman in Atlanta the other night, she, she goes to First Baptist Church, her husband does some kind of ministry there. And they came out to my meetings in Atlanta last week or week before last and they were there four nights. Uh, uh, and this was on Sunday, the wife of a religious worker. She had about ten to two. <laughs> I mean, I mean, here she was on Sunday night and her total, ten sins, two acts of righteousness. And she'd been to church and Sunday school that day. I guess those were the two uh, that she figured on. <laughs> now listen, listen to me, listen to me. Listen, if God can set you free tonight, this will be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Listen, we need to get out from this sinful condemnation that hangs over us. It's a heavy weight upon our shoulders. We need to get away from it. We need to forget it. We need to be. Now listen, listen. You know what I all told that eagle? He said, let me tell you something. You're not a turkey, you're an eagle. And if you'd be what you are, you'd be fulfilled. Amen. I want to tell you something tonight. What we Christians need to discover is who we are. We need to discover who we are. We need to discover what this means. We need to discover... All that. Listen, can you imagine when you go to bed at the end of the day? My many, 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 many days, I have zero hair. <laughs> but before, see, I was told every Christian sins every day. <laughs> and you sin and not know it. And see, if I asked you tonight to tell me the sins you did, a lot of you did. You couldn't do it because you don't know what you did was wrong. You just presumed you sinned. 
I did this up at church one night about a year ago. I said, everybody in here that hasn't sinned today, stand up. And nobody stood up. I mean, that's on a Sunday. You know, I mean, I mean, if you're going to have a nice record, it looks like Sunday be the easiest day to do it. And after church, I said to my wife, well, what sin did you do? I was really interested in what kind of sin she'd done. <laughs> and this is what she said. She said, I really don't know. I just figured I'd done one. I'm going to tell you something. See, and my wife is the most saintly woman I know, the most saintly person I know. Listen, there's a sin consciousness that is totally of the devil that has been promoted by preachers like you and I, and especially the evangelists who want to get decisions. That's right. And praise God, he does have mercy. But let me tell you something. Now listen, here's, what, here's my text for tonight. It's the same one I used last night. Those who receive. That's why I spoke in receiving last night, because I'm going to talk to you about what we need to receive, you and I. There were two things it says. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want to speak to you tonight about receiving from God Almighty the gift of righteousness that he has given you. Now listen. Listen, I want you to receive tonight. If, if you want to reign in life, one of the two things that you have got to receive is the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I don't know about you. See, you know why that little eaglet felt bad? Because he never was meant to walk around in dark woods. He was meant to fly in the sky and be an eagle. And I want to tell you something. Christians are meant to reign. And when we are not reigning in life, we are not what we ought to be, and therefore we are out of place. And we never will, we never will be fulfilled, no matter how big a church we get, till we reign in life, because that's what God made us to do. He made us to be eagles, not turkeys crawling around in some wood. Amen. Now, are you willing tonight to receive? I want to show you from God's Word. Do you know what it says about ministers? You know what Paul says the ministry of the New Testament is in 2 Corinthians 3? He says it's a ministry of righteousness. I want to ask you folks something. I want to ask you. I want you to tell me before God Almighty tonight. Do you minister righteousness back at your church or do you minister condemnation? Come on. Do you minister righteousness? Listen, in John, in John, it says this. The Holy Spirit would come to convict us of three things. Sin, righteousness, and the judgment of the devil. Now, I want to ask you something. In How many people in here tonight can honestly say that somebody has come to their altar and said, Praise God, I got convicted of righteousness tonight. Hallelujah. I'm righteous, righteous, righteous. You see, you see, the people that come to our altar, come there convicted of what? What's the work of the Holy Spirit? To convict of what? Sin first, yes. And only one sin. The sin of refusing to believe in Jesus. But next, to convict us of righteousness. How righteous we are. See, without the Holy Ghost, you can't believe it and I can't believe it. Because everything around us, including the religious people, are telling us how unrighteous we are. <laughs> oh, may the Holy Ghost come tonight and convict us of righteousness. <laughs> there's a time to kneel at an altar, but there's a time to jump at an altar. <laughs> My Lord, can you imagine somebody coming down next Sunday and saying, the Holy Ghost convicted me that I am righteous? No. Do you know how righteous I am? Do you know how righteous I am? You want me to tell you? I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's how righteous I am. 
You know, a few years ago, I'd have thought if I said that, lightning would strike. <laughs> Listen to what this guy says. He's a typical Baptist. Let me read him to you. Listen, this is a lovely letter. I know where he is. I was there for years. I'm not condemning. It's a real sweet letter. It's a real sweet letter. But he says this. I also been taught. Wait, wait. I've listened to your tape over and over again, hoping to understand your statement, but I just can't comprehend it. I have been taught that Jesus is supreme, and if we put ourselves on Jesus' supreme level, we are mocking Jesus and blaspheming God. He's going to Baptist college. I've also been taught that all people, even Christians, sin every day. It's part of our human makeup, our human nature. If what you're saying is true, I've been turkey-rised. <laughs> And then he goes on to two verses from Romans. Now listen to this. Listen to this. He says, it says in Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, no, not one. Sure he does say that, but it says that about a sinner. <laughs> he just didn't read far enough. He got stuck down in Romans 3. If he'd got on to Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, he'd been flying. Now listen, I'm not laughing at him. I was there for years. I pray God that the Holy Ghost will get this young man away from where he is before he gets to be 50. We could live like this young man right here. Let me read to you what this guy said. This is one of the greatest statements. I only know the Holy Ghost could have write, written this. He said, I guess 300 sins in question 9, 10 acts of righteousness, and number 10 at the end of the tape. I asked God to show me what he was trying to say to me. Now listen to this. This is, this is one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my life. This is revelation, if God can give you this. He said, I know the voice of God as you've spoken to me many times, but I never heard him say to me what he said that night. In a voice I'll never forget, God said to me, Joe, if you never win another soul to Christ, if you never have another quiet time, if you never pray to me again or read my word, if you never do one thing for me as long as you live, I love you through all eternity with my everlasting love. You're as righteous as my son Jesus Christ and I accept you just the way you are. Now, I want to tell you something. If we don't have that as the foundation of our Christian life, we'll never build a Christian life. It'll come tumbling down if it is built upon sin consciousness. Now, the Holy Spirit usually uses best of all the Word of God. And I want you to turn to the Word of God with me. Let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now remember this. Now listen. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of sin and you receive His conviction, what do you do? Eh? You admit it, right? I have done wrong and you accept the forgiveness. Right, now, now listen. What we're after tonight is not for the Holy Spirit to convict anybody of sin primarily. If he wants to do it, I, you know, he can do this. But what we're aiming at tonight, sometimes the Holy Spirit does other things, is to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of what Jesus Christ says about us now if we are born again Christians. That's what we're after tonight. Now listen, listen. Just like a man can resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin, a person can resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit about righteousness. We can say, like this young man, I don't think he's resisting. I think he's searching. I don't find in this letter, uh, I find, and I'm going to write him. I'm going to take time. I'm going to send him the letter of this other guy. Because at the end of this letter, he told me, if you can use this, use it. And I want to send him to somebody who heard the same sermon and show him what the reaction was. But listen, if you can receive the gift of righteousness tonight, 
This is what, that's all this young man did. He received the gift of righteousness. He said, God, what are you trying to say to me? And God said, I'm trying to say to you that you are righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous and I like you just like you are. You don't have one thing to do that you might be loved by me throughout all the ages of eternity. Let me finish reading this letter because I think you need, you need to hear the whole letter. Uh, Mr. Lord, right then it seemed like a thousand pounds of self-condemnation, guilt, shame, bitterness, rejection was taken off my heart and taken to the bottom of the sea. The love of God flooded my soul. Joy unspeakable filled my heart. I saw for the first time in it, seems like an eternity, that God loves me for who I am, not based on my performance. True to the word of God, John 8, 31, 32, the truth has set me free. Finally, I'm free to be myself, not what others want me to be, or even what I think God wants me to be. I'm free to let Christ glorify himself through Joe Finrock. What did he do? He just received the gift of righteousness. You can't reign in life without receiving the gift of righteousness. So, I want you to listen now as we go through this, so that the Holy Ghost... I can't convict you of sin, and I can't convict you of righteousness. I can't convict you of anything. That's something God's got to do. And, and, and I, I, I hope you're open for conviction tonight, okay? The conviction of sin drives you to your knees. The conviction of righteousness drives you to your feet, shouting like this young man shouted in this letter, see? And, and just praising the Lord. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now, listen to this very carefully. R.G. Lee said when I was in seminary, if he had one scripture to preach on in the entire Bible, he'd preach on this. I didn't know back then. Why? Why, why he would have chosen a verse like this? Because I didn't understand. I didn't even begin to comprehend. I was so sin conscious. Sin, 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 sin. You're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. And I said, yeah, I'm doing wrong. I'm doing wrong. I'm doing wrong. I'm a sinner. A poor, rotten, dirty sinner saved by grace. Sitting all the time, doing wrong. Now, look what he says in here. He, that's God, made him Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become, what? The righteousness of God in him. Listen, I have become the righteousness of God. <laughs> this guy said, I know how you feel. He said, if I felt like I was saying that, I'd be blaspheming God. I want to tell you something. If I don't say it, I'm blaspheming God. <laughs> Why? Because God said so. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, let's just, let's, let's say it together. It's good. Not what others want me to be, or even what I think God wants me to be. I'm free to let Christ glorify himself through Joe Finrock. What did he do? He just received the gift of righteousness. You can't reign in life without receiving the gift of righteousness. So, I want you to listen now as we go through this, so that the Holy Ghost... I can't convict you of sin, and I can't convict you of righteousness. I can't convict you of anything. That's something God's got to do. And, and, and I, I, I hope you're open for conviction tonight, okay? The conviction of sin drives you to your knees. The conviction of righteousness drives you to your feet, shouting like this young man shouted in this letter, see? And, and just praising the Lord. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now, listen to this very carefully. R.G. Lee said when I was in seminary, if he had one scripture to preach on in the entire Bible, he'd preach on this. I didn't know back then. Why? Why, why he would have chosen a verse like this? 
because I didn't understand. I didn't even begin to comprehend. I was so sin conscious. Sin, 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 sin. You're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. And I said, yeah, I'm doing wrong, I'm doing wrong, I'm doing wrong. I'm a sinner, a poor, rotten, dirty sinner. In Christ. Let's say it again. That's hard to believe in it. You look at your life, and right now the devil's getting you pictures of screaming at the kids, and, and that sort of stuff, and you're thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. You see, it's a fundamental law of psychology that we act according as what we think we are. <laughs> and if you're a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, you're going to act like a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. If you see yourself as the righteousness, and I want to tell you something, righteousness is not a robe we put on over our dirty old self. Righteousness is a nature that God gives us. I am righteous! <laughs> now! Uh, uh, let's say that together. I am righteous now. I am righteous now. I am as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous now. Go on. I am as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous now. Okay, now let's turn to 1 John. <coughs> Chapter 3. Now, let's start in verse 1. See what greater love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And then just in case, it's just a name we got, he says, and such we are. I'm not just called a child of God, I am a child of God. It's one thing to be called something, it's another thing to be that something, isn't it? Eh? Okay, let's say it. Because, now what? we're going to confess the word. Remember I told you yesterday the Mississippi was low? Why well, I believe Cecil's word. Didn't have any trouble repeating it. Listen, we're in the word of God right now. We're in the word of God right now. Listen, listen. Uh, let's say it. I am a child of God. Okay, let's say this. I can never be any more of a child of God than I am right now. Okay, let's say it like this. I can never be any more of a child of God than I am right now, even if I pass to the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> what you're laughing at, it's true. You, it's true. Okay, let's say it like that, because I want you to believe it. You just think that if you were a little more a child of God, he'd put you in a bigger church. That's a lie. He was asking me, how big is your church? I said, where do you want to measure? Around the stomach or the head or the heart? <laughs> Okay, let, let, me, let me see if I can get that one again. I'm a child. I can never be any more of a child of God than I am right now, even if I pass to the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Okay? Think you can handle that one? Okay, let's go. I can never be any more a child of God than I am right now, even if I pass to the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. You believe that? Okay. Okay, let's, let's go on. 
Now, verse 2, Beloved, and it just repeats it, Now we are the children of God. Ah, we're the children of God right now. Well, you know, God says, God says he doesn't have any favorites. So I want to tell you something. God's given you the very best he can give to you right now. Now, you don't have to do more work for him. You don't have to visit more to get any more of his favors. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to work more. In fact, you know, he might be a little pleased if you work less, spend more time with the kids or something. I don't know. We'll talk about that another night. But listen, I'm a child of God right now. Now, rather than taking all the time to read all of this, let's skip over to verse 7. Now, it says, little children, let nobody deceive you. And most of us in here have been deceived. We've let somebody deceive us. Look what it says. What we're not to be deceived about. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now, you say, well, I'm not sure I practice that. Well, the other alternatives for you. Verse 8 for you. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Now, you pick which side you're on. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Now, you see, our problem is, let me say this to you. A guy who does 300 sins in one day and only 10 this, you see, he sees in his mind and heart he's practicing sin and he feels, man, I can't be nothing because I've done three. I mean, if you do 300, if you do 300 things in one day, you can, you can say for sure you're practicing that. Now, listen, look at that verse. I mean, that's powerful. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Go back to chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If he's righteous, I'm born of him, what am I going to be? Righteous. I am as righteous. The last time I said that down here, a woman got mad at me. She went after the service. She told somebody, my Sunday school teacher's been teaching me to be humble. And here's this guy telling me to say I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. She doesn't know what humility is. You want me to tell you what humility is? Humility is saying about yourself what God says about you. No more, no less. But more of us say less about ourselves than what God is saying about us. Uh, we're on the other side of pride. We're not pride. We're self-defeatists. We're nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm just a little preacher's wife. We haven't discovered who we are, so we crawl around in the woods with the turkeys and wish to God that there was more to it than this. There is more to it than this. And the reason why we are dissatisfied is not the size of the church, it's not the deacons, it's not the conditions in which we have existed. The reason we are dissatisfied in what we are is because we're not being what we are. And as long as you're not being what you are, you're bound to be dissatisfied with what you are if you get in the first bath. Listen, I sat in one of the largest churches in Texas last week. The staff invited me to come out. The pastor invited me to speak to the staff. There must have been nine people around the table and the staff. And the preacher said in front of all of his staff, why am I dissatisfied? Listen, one of the largest, best-known preachers in the Southern Baptist Convention said in front of his entire staff, asking me the question, why am I dissatisfied and discontented when I have all of this? That's what he said. Right there in front of his whole staff. It blew my mind that he'd say it in front of his staff. <coughs> you have to be... Now listen. A big church isn't going to take away the discontentment that rests in your soul. What's going to take it away is to be the eagle God made you to be. But to be the eagle that God made you to be, 
Now listen carefully. You're going to have to accept his righteousness. Now, in order to accept his righteousness, you've got to get rid of your own. <laughs> you know something? You want me to tell you a sign of self-righteousness? Anytime you say, it's not fair what's happening to me, that is a sign of self-righteousness. You know why it's a sign of self-righteousness? It's because you're saying, I deserve better, it's not fair. And you're also saying, God, you're not doing your best, because if you're doing your best, you'd have given me more. So you're saying two things. I deserve better than what I'm getting. You mean, I'm righteous and I'm not getting paid right. And you're not righteous because you're not paying me right. Now, you've never said it like that, but that's where it ends up, and that's what it really means. It's not fair that the deacon should have kicked me out of the church. It's not fair that they're not paying me any more than they do when they're spending all the money in buildings. It's not fair when I have done this. That's a sign of self-righteousness. Do you know what the problem with Job was? He was self-righteous. And when God stripped him of his self-righteousness, and if you read it very carefully, you'll find the joke, God was getting rid of his self-righteousness so God could doubly bless him. Amen. Let me tell you something. A critical spirit of other preachers, which Baptist preachers are preeminent at, is a sign of self-righteousness. When you start judging other people by their doctrines, when you start judging other people by their procedures, what you're saying is, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> That's what all of that means. Now listen, our righteousness and his don't go together. And if we're willing to lay down our righteousness and say, Jesus, you see, you see, this guy got a hold of it. I've never heard anything like it. Isn't that great, Jerry? I mean, that guy got a hold of it. He said, I don't care. <laughs> Why didn't he? He doesn't have to care. He's got Jesus' righteousness. Can you beat that? <laughs> but you know the difference between this guy and a lot of you in here tonight? He received it. Now, his problem right now is he doesn't understand it. And I tell you something, if you wait to receive things till you understand them, you're going to be a pauper. <laughs> Little children, let nobody deceive us. He that practices righteousness is just as righteous as he's righteous. You see, I get up in the morning and say, I'm righteous. <clears throat> I'm eating my breakfast, an act of righteousness. I'm cleaning my teeth, an act of righteousness. I'm pinning a diaper on, an act of righteousness. So the first time I ever preached this sermon, I preached it out in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, all versions of it. And on the staff, there was a mother that had three kids. They'd pick me up at the motel that night and take me to church. The three kids were about like that, that, and that. I mean, I thought, you know, I mean, they looked like they could have been all born at the same time. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> and you know what she told me after the message? She said, I've been feeling condemnation because I couldn't be down at the church with all the other staff wives doing the work all the time. See, she didn't understand that one of the greatest acts of righteousness in the entire world was pinning diapers and three small babies and bringing them up for the glory of God. And she felt her condemnation brought on by this sin complex that righteousness is something done at an address at a place called a church and we do it at certain times not understanding that all of life is righteousness. And if it's not righteousness, it's sin. 
not some gray in between stuff. She got free that night. What? To be the mother that God had made her to be when he gave her three small kids. And not to worry about being down the church all the time. If she went down the church all the time, she'd been sitting. She needs to be home. See, if we took care of the baby eagles, they wouldn't fall amongst the turkeys. Are we too busy having two more babies, right? And to bother to raise up the children God has given us, both in the church and at home. You feel pretty good. You've been through a day and have 300 to, uh, to zero. Listen, listen. Somebody said, you preach in sinless perfection. No. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't have to sin. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't have to sin. If I can live 10 minutes, can you live 10 minutes without sin? Well, you live 20 then. That eh? costs 20. All is two tens put together. <laughs> right? Then you live 40, Right? And you can just double that up, right? You can go on and on and on. Listen, listen. It should be a common thing to live a whole week without a sin. <coughs> well, we'll never do it. Christians sin every day. Well, you've got to do at least seven to keep up with that average. Uh, right? I mean, in a week, I mean, you've got to... I mean, if you're going to be average and, and Christians sin every day, you're going to live by that? And Christians don't say, sin and don't know it, so you have to throw in a few more just to make sure for the ones you didn't know about that you did. And you see, you see. Now let me ask you something tonight. You saw how many hands were held up in here tonight that at a Bible conference had more here than here. I wonder if we'd ask this in the last Saturday how it would have rated. <laughs> the days when most preachers stay at home, you know. Have to mess with the kids and the lawn. Or the snow, whatever it is. I wonder how it would have rated, right? Listen, there's too much guilt and false condemnation that the devil has imposed upon us. And we are all cringing under this load of sinfulness. That is why when an evangelist gives an invitation for rededication, everybody troops down to the front and shakes his hand. And that is why they do it after evangelist, after evangelist, because nobody has ever told them that they are righteous in Jesus Christ. And they have never let the Holy Spirit convict them that they are righteous in Jesus Christ. So they could get up and saying, Hey, I've got my sins clean now, and I'm righteous, and I'm not going to walk down here. We shouldn't have to walk down there. What about your list today? I asked one lady, I don't even know where she is tonight, I won't ask her to stand up, but I said, how many things did you boo-boo on, you know what I mean, uh, and, and uh, check out, she's about 15. Uh, you know, I, I have a little problem with that. Um, not with her, I, I know where she is, I've been there, I found 30. Uh, it's sort of a good thing to find them, it's sort of soul purging, isn't it, to be able to check a whole lot off. Now let me say this to you. When the Holy Ghost is alive in you, he won't let you stack up 15 behind each other. <laughs> Would you let your kid stack up 15 wrongs in the home without correcting him, telling him about one of them, and then shooting them all to him at one time? Come on. Now, how does a person take care of their sin when they're convicted of sin? Okay, let me show you. The Holy Spirit says to you, Peter, Lord, you told a lie. Now, I want to, I, I want to say something. Whenever you hear a voice saying, you've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, and he doesn't tell you what you've done that's wrong, the devil's speaking to you. Can you imagine going home to my night to my little 10-year-old boy and say, you've done wrong, I did wrong. I'm not going to tell you, you've just done wrong, and I'm going to get you. 
That's condemnation. The Holy Spirit says, Peter, Lord, you didn't speak to your wife nicely today. Well, I've done this so many times, I know what I'm going to have to do is say, forgive me and then get on the phone. Right? <laughs> when the Holy Spirit speaks to you about sin, he speaks to you. Let me tell you something. If you're living the Spirit-filled life, he doesn't wait till 15 minutes. One of the signs that you're walking with God is the minute you sin, the minute you let a word out your mouth, you know it. Because he's grieved inside of you. And he said, hey, I like what you just said. And you can correct it right then, not store it up for a Bible conference or the next revival. Now, the Holy Spirit says, Peter, Lord, listen, you spoke to your wife wrongly. You know I've been over this before. You call and ask her to forgive you. And ask me to forgive you and it's all over. And I receive his forgiveness. I go on, I don't, I don't, I don't drag it around with me all day. So... It's gone. Gone. And I, I like his illustration. Uh, last week when I was going out to Texas, Henry Brandt rode with me on the phone. Henry Brandt's a Christian psychologist. I just happened to see him in the Atlanta airport and he and I got to sit together. And we were talking about these very things on the way out in the plane. And he said to me something like this. He said, you know, in a basketball game, listen, when a guy does wrong, they blow the whistle on him. He pays the penalty right then, but he doesn't go through the game saying, I did wrong, I did wrong. What does he do? He does right the whole game, and the whistle is only blown on him when he does wrong. And I want to tell you something. When the Holy Ghost doesn't blow the whistle on you, everything you're doing is right. Everything. Taking a rest, propping your feet up, playing with the kids. You can depend upon the Holy Ghost if you've got him to blow the whistle on you when you do wrong. All the rest of the time it's right. Clear sailing. <laughs> now, what I want to know is this. Are we going to receive the gift of righteousness? Are we going to receive the gift of righteousness? Now, I think what we ought to do tonight is probably just say, God, I'm willing to get rid of all my righteousness for yours. I mean, what better deal could you ever get than that? You know? And saying, I'm willing to receive your righteousness tonight. And when I receive your righteousness, I'll be as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. You, when, uh, tell me, wouldn't you feel pretty good if you went to bed tonight knowing beyond any shadow of doubt you're just as righteous as Jesus is righteous? Well, that'd be terrific. You wake up tomorrow morning, I'm just as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want to close with one more scripture. Now, let me ask you something. I want to ask you a question. In your church, you're having lots of trouble. Adultery, folks getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. The last business meeting, you had a knockdown, drag-out fight, and you ended up finding out you didn't have a split. You had a quadruple split. There were four different factions in the church, and an evangelist was coming to preach at your church on Sunday. Uh, what would you tell him to preach? Well, I'm going to show you what an evangelist preached who went to a church like that. It's a church called Corinth. I want you to open First Corinthians with me. I want you to see what he told them. We're going to close with this and see if you can receive it. Now, any person who knows the New Testament knows this, that the same church became transformed by Second Corinthians, right? Is that right? It isn't even the same church. Now, let me show you what he said to the Corinthian church. Here, here's the church. They're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, having adultery in the church, split four ways. God only knows, abusing spiritual gifts, and I want you to see what he, what he calls them. <coughs> now, we'd have primed an evangelist good, wouldn't we? See that deacon over there? Living in adultery. Those, those guys right over there drinking every night. And we'd have, we'd have primed them up. Boy, and he'd have come out with his guns loaded, talking about how awful and rotten, dirty, stinking sinners they were. Now, I want you to see what Paul came out saying. <coughs> 
Paul, called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is in Christ Jesus. To those who have been, it couldn't be true. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Listen, he says, you guys have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Call saints by calling. He said, you're a bunch of saints. He started off telling them who they were in Jesus. And let's go ahead and see what he says to them. <clears throat> he says, uh, uh, verse 3, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus. He said, you guys have got all the grace you need already. He starts off by telling them who they are. Sanctified. Would you call a bunch? Would you tell your evangelists? Now get up there and say, sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by God. That's the way you to start. Okay, let's go on. He's not through yet. See, before he gets to telling them what's wrong, what he's going to do is to tell them, this is what you are. That's why you ought to act like this and quit acting like that. Okay, let's go on. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus. He said, I just thank God that you guys have got it all. Okay, let's keep on reading. Now, he knew what, he, he knew what was happening. Uh, he says that in everything you are enriched in him. You're enriched in him in everything. Enriched now in him in everything. In all speech and all knowledge. Verse 7. So that you're not lacking in any gift. You're not lacking. You guys got all the gifts. Eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall conform you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called. You were living like this. He hadn't even got to that yet. Into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is that how you preach Sunday? If you went back and found out they'd had a four-way split at business meeting and one deacon was living in adultery uh, uh, with somebody else and they had got drunk at the Lord's Supper the Sunday night, last Sunday night when you're down. Is that how you'd start off your message? Come on. That's how he started off his message. You know why? Because he knew the best way to help anybody is to start to tell them who they are and what they are and they will come up to that. Now, we're back where we started. You want to reign in life? Two things you've got to receive. We're just talking about one tonight. You've got to receive the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. You can't earn it. If you win 700 souls to Jesus this next year, you won't be any closer to it. In my prayer book, I keep me a little reminder. It says this. Closer, closer to God you cannot be, or in the person of his Son you're as close as he. Dearer, dearer to God I cannot be, or in the person of his Son I'm as dear as he. Listen, I need reminders daily because everything around me, Satan and so-called Christians, and people around me are trying to tell me how rotten I am. I need the Holy Ghost to remind me every single solitary day and every moment of the day that I am a son of God now and I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ is and I can just walk right into the presence of my Heavenly Father all the time. Fly. Now, listen carefully. Tell you about an eagle and then we're going to have our invitation. We're going to close. <coughs> Eagles don't flap much. They just catch the wing, the wind. They say a lot of times an eagle will sit on a rock and he'll wait for the gust of wind to come by. 
And when the gust of wind comes by, he just jumps out and spreads his wings. And the wind carries him up. Now, the Holy Spirit is compared to the wind. And tonight, he's going to blow in some of you. And are you going to be willing to jump off the rock and depend upon the wind? I mean, human reason can't see you through this. You're looking at your life right now and the devil is trying to bring condemnation. You. I can tell what he's doing with some of you right now. He's trying to tell some of you. What about those thoughts you thought? Those thoughts. What about this? What about that? What about this? And he's running behind you now. A parade. I want to ask you something. Are you going to believe what you think about yourself or what God says about you? Are you going to believe what you feel about yourself or what God says about you? What is the most reliable thing? My feelings, my thinkings, my reasonings about myself, or what God says. God says I'm righteous, so I'm righteous. Amen. Now listen, the guy who jumps off the rock and spreads his wings when the Holy Ghost comes by, maybe he won't come by everybody night. If somebody says, I'm going to trust God. And you know, I'm sure you've never done it before to get off that rock. <laughs> you feel like you're going to flop for sure. But listen, you've got to keep those wings out there and let the wind just bear you up, carry your cross. This letter right here. I want to read it to you. It's another letter from that same... Uh, it's, a, it's a good friend of mine. He's pastor of a First Baptist Church in Louisiana. Ah. Uh, <coughs> last spring, I was totally defeated. He had a big church compared with what you and I call a big church. I was totally defeated as a Christian, a husband, a father, and a pastor. I really did not care if I lived or died. Or he just said, if I even lived. In my living room, on my knees, God took me back to Psalm 103. In, what, in, in, in that moment of reading, crying, praying, seeking God, he revealed to me what he had been trying to teach me for almost two years. I really felt accepted, loved, and changed. I taught others of God's love and acceptance, but was not experiencing it myself. The reason was the bondage of unworthiness and guilt under which I lived and served. God freed me from that burden almost immediately. I really needed the affirmation you gave this past week to what God had shown me. The most exciting part is that God gave you the story of the eagle and that he had spoken to me the most because God had promised me that he would restore my youth as the eagles. That verse in Psalm 103 became so important in my life, and so forth. Now, gifts are given, just like you tell your people every week. <laughs> Why don't you receive? I'm going to throw those words back at you right now. Why don't you receive? his gift of righteousness. Now, here's how we... Okay, let me just show you one other thing, and I'm through. I think this will really help you. This is this little diagram. Now, if you're like I've been, it's been like this. Here is where I want to be. Let's just put it as a cross right there. And I see myself going up a hill. If I can just lose a little more weight, I'll be more pleasing to God. If I can just speak a little kindly to my children, I'll be a little closer to God. And so, what do I do? I have these little steps carved out, usually by the Bible conference speakers. 
who tell me what I ought to do. And in my mind, let me show you the difference. In my mind, ah, I can take that step. And I can take that step. But somehow, a lot of the steps I don't be able to seem to take and hold. I slide back down. And even when I take and hold them, there's still something. Now, that isn't the way it is. When you get saved, God puts you up here. <laughs> Automatically, he puts you up there. And that's what it was telling Paul, was telling the Christians, hey, you guys got it all. Now, you see, the Christian life isn't climbing up these steps to get up here. It's knowing who you are in Christ up here and coming down to live here. <laughs> you see the difference? And most of us, I just say, if I can visit a little bit more, if I can win another soul to Jesus, if I can preach a better sermon, if I can pray a little bit more, if I can study a little bit longer, what this guy saw in this letter was, hey, I'm here! <laughs> I have already got it all. <laughs> now I'm able to walk down here because I've got it all and live down here in the valley. And those of us who are struggling up this hill to get up here don't know we're already there. <laughs> and we're trying to get something we already got. Like a guy saw at the conference, James Robinson's conference last week, he was looking for his glasses. He already had them on. You know, he's... <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. All we're looking for if we're Christians, we've already got now. We just take it, receive it, and come down here to live. And tomorrow when they talk with you about being filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, you'll never be able to hold this confession without the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have someone inside of you telling you all the time that what God said is more true than what your wife says. Amen. Amen. <laughs> or your husband says. Or your kids say. Or your deacons say. Right? And that's what the Holy Spirit has to do inside of all of us. Are there any questions?